0: Are you ready?
1: Oh, absolutely. All
0: right, let's do it. Thank you for joining us on The Change Artist, where we bring our listeners stories and great advice for leading and following through change from business leaders who are making a difference in their organizations. I'm your host, Alyssa Cox, and here on The Change Artist, our motto is, if change is the only constant in life, then let's do it better. And this season, we're focusing specifically on behavior change, what it means to change behavior on your team and in your organization, and how you actually go about doing that. So let's jump right in. Greg, how do you define behavior change?
1: Alyssa, change is one of those things, and that's you're right, constant is, is the thing about change. And behavior change, I define it as simply changing an individual's actions to achieve a different result. So what we're looking at is if Bob's not doing his job, we've got to find the what the problem is and is it tied to a behavior we need to change it does he need to come in earlier stay later does he need to be better cognizant about certain things does he need to take different education so we need to find what those individual actions are that are going to change so we change those behaviors to get a desired outcome
0: all right and i definitely have some follow up questions for you but first i want to let our listeners know who you are so For those of you who don't know him, Greg Gregory is a team-building mastermind with over 25 years of experience helping organizations build the leadership, culture, and teaming behaviors that allow them to produce breakthrough results. And today, Greg is here to talk to us specifically about those teaming behaviors, what makes good teams tick, and how we drive the right behaviors within our teams to make those teams as effective as possible. Now, I want to come back to your definition. You know you talked about defining behavior change as changes in, in actions to achieve results. How do you understand whether the root cause of the issue that you're seeing is a behavior issue, and to differentiate that from perhaps an attitude issue?
1: In many cases, attitudes will drive behaviors. So what we've got to recognize, and I go back to the simplest behavior example of all, and that is what I build off of with the everything disk profile. If you're sitting at your desk, here's something it's very, very simple to do. You're going to draw two lines on a sheet of paper, one line straight up and down and another line horizontally. So the first line is the vertical axis. At the top, you're going to write fast paced. At the bottom, you'll write slow paced. So on the fast paced, slow paced barometer, if you will, you're going to, a judge somebody, you're going to adjust somebody, you're going to observe somebody, you're going to watch them in three specific areas. How fast they walk, how fast they talk, and how fast they make decisions. Now it's an aggregate of all three. Behaviors will change depending upon circumstances. So if when I get on stage and I'm delivering a presentation, I'm really, really fast-paced in all three of those. When I'm in the office, I'm a little more reserved. Not much, but a little more reserved. You're going to measure somebody on that axis. Down at the bottom is not a bad thing. That just means they're slower paced. All the way at the top is not a bad thing. That just means they're quicker. There's no right or wrong. So I always tease. I say, imagine zero to a hundred. Where would you put somebody? That's the first axis. The second axis is the horizontal one. On the left side of the axis, you're going to write down task-based so it's task-based in other words when you walk into somebody's office when you get them on the phone do they sit there and just immediately go into the task of the situation or are they more socially based somewhere in between is where most people fall most people when you observe them will not be all the way to an extreme on both axes some are but not most people are not so for me I'm pretty high up on the vertical axis, but I'm pretty close to the center and I vacillate left and right on task based or social based. The more under pressure I get, the more task based I get. The less pressure I have, the more social I am. So you start to observe the behavior. What you'll do is combine those two graphs and you'll end up with a star or a dot in one of the quadrants. DISC quadrants, if you imagine four quadrants, upper left is the D that stands for dominance. These are the people who are bottom line, get to the point, don't waste their time. If you've charted out your boss and you walk into your boss's office, or you've got somebody else on your team, you walk into their office, or you talk to them on the phone, and they are, we've got work to do, bum, 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 and they're talking like that, bottom line, get to the point, don't waste their time. So I need to adjust my behavior to be able to be more congruent with them. As a great leader, what I'm going to do is I'm going to work with my people to understand how they need to adjust in the same manner with everybody.
0: If I think about some of these like if these upper left-hand quadrant, people who identify in the upper left-hand quadrant, I can understand the higher up in the organization that you go, the more scope you have to display these these behaviors, how do we see these behaviors exhibited at lower levels in the organization? And are there sort of career limiting implications of operating in that quadrant if you're lower in the organization?
1: They're exhibited every day, regardless of the level. I, I come out of the mortgage banking industry, used to have a loan closer, The beginning of the month, she was funny, giggly, always social, everything. You get to her the last five days of the month when the business was on the line, you'd walk by and go, hi, shut up. I got work to do. Leave me alone. Okay? It's not that she was mean because she was not. She just changed her behavior. So I had to identify her behavior. Now, you ask the question, is it limiting or in that direction? It should not be. Could it be? Yeah, it could be, but that means the organization's a little short-sighted. Does that make sense?
0: It does make sense. And it, this idea that, that we shift our behavior over the course of the, of the month, of the week, with some periodicity, it really differentiates DISC for me from, for example, Myers-Briggs, where Myers-Briggs describes you, and this is you in perpetuity. This is you everywhere, this feels like a model that is a way of describing behavior, but you change over time. And it's not just sort of you grow and change. It's in the morning when I'm trying to get the kids out of the house, I'm faster paced and more task-based. Once I get to work and the pressure's off a little bit, I can start to be more social perhaps with my teammates.
1: Exactly. And that's that's the beauty part of being able to identify this. And it's, it's interesting because you may talk with somebody in the morning And they may be one particular style. Now, they don't gravitate and make drastic changes. They don't do that unless they get under that huge pressure. And that's the key part. So the upper left is the bottom line, shut up, out of my way, I've got work to do. The upper right is the I, which stands for influence. These are the ones who go easygoing. They are also the ones that are most easily distracted. Lower right is the s which stands for steadiness and in the steadiness model it's exactly like it sounds they're very steady even keeled these folks need time to think they need time to process they're slower paced doesn't mean that they're slow they're slower paced they want to think things through the s tends to think it through both from a social side as well as an analytical side the lower left quadrant then is the C for conscientious. Now, we all have our dominant style. Conscientious, they're the ones who cross-check everything and double-check everything all the time. And that's fun because guess what? We need people double-checking us, especially if they're lower left and they're working with a lot of people in the upper right who don't double-check anything. So we have to blend it together and make sure we know how we're working. So let's look at how we delegate, okay? I'm going to use a very simple idea of delegation about recognizing behavior. Again, I'm going to want to lead behavior with the people on the team, making sure they understand that I model as the leader the behaviors that I want. So if I'm working with somebody who is the S, that lower right quadrant, they need time to think. Now, if I'm a D, I'm going to walk in there and go, Sally, I need this taken care of right away. Thank you very much. Goodbye. And I'm thinking the work is delegated, done, and I'm out. I could do it in an email. I could do it with a task. I could do it in Slack. I could do it all kinds of ways. But I'm just going to, boom, get it done. Well, now I say I need it back. It's Monday morning. I need it back by Friday. She says, okay. She slots it. Next morning, she starts looking at it. And then she pings me a message and says, I've got a question about this. I'm like, about what? All of a sudden, I'm frustrated. I need to change my behavior. So when I delegate to somebody like that, I need to go and say, hey, Alyssa, I've got this project that's due on Friday. When you get a chance, look this over, jot down any questions, let's set aside the time tomorrow to jump on a Zoom meeting for about five minutes and I'll answer any of your questions. That will allow Sally to be much more in tune to doing what she needs to do, get it done in the timeframe that she knows, and feel comfortable to come back and ask me for questions.
0: And it anchors around understanding your audience and feels like managing your behaviors to get the most out of your team. How do you use this model then to think about managing and changing the behaviors of your team, right? And helping your team see and and tweak their approach to getting the right results out of themselves and others.
1: If I am modeling the behavior that I want, then they will model it back. Let's use your kids as an example. A lot of parents use the term, do as I say, not as I do. We've got to model the behavior. So leaders have to model the behaviors of what they're looking for in return. I'm fast paced. I'm working with somebody on the other side. I have to slow it down.
0: So it's almost a listen first as opposed to a tell. And I think it requires us to get out of the mindset, almost the mindset of changing other people's behavior, and into the mindset of figuring out how to accept others' behavior and optimize our relationship for the way you know they work.
1: Let's go back to a book. I think it was out in 1983. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Dr. Stephen Covey. Seek first to understand then be understood. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. I have to understand the person I'm working with. Now, I started doing this originally when I was in sales in the mortgage business. As I got into a management role, I started realizing, hey, it made sense. Some people think you're manipulating people. You're not. You're just trying to get to a maximum efficiency and effectiveness on how you're working with people.
0: So... How do we marry this seek first to understand and then be understood approach to the need on the behalf of leaders to provide constructive criticism, constructive feedback to their teams when you spot behaviors that are, in fact, a detriment to the individual's effectiveness, a detriment to their achievement of their their goals in their career?
1: Now we're getting into an area that's a little bit different than just changing of behavior, because now we're talking about building the team. And one of the most important factors on that is first we've got to do is we have to build vulnerability trust. So I have to build vulnerability trust with my followers. My followers have to build it with me. They have to build it with each other. So they have to build the trust. Once we've got the trust in place, then we create an environment that is safe for communication and safe for conflict. Conflict is healthy when it is found around ideas. If we don't have trust, we cannot have healthy conflict. Once we have healthy conflict, then we can get commitment. And when I say commitment, I mean true commitment, not somebody who's feigning commitment, saying, sure, I'll do it, and then they don't. And here's where we get to your question. I can then hold them accountable. but I hold them accountable for their actions, they're not feeling like I'm picking on them and I'm not putting them down but we're working together, as John Kennedy would say, a rising tide raises all ships. If we don't have trust, we haven't had our communication in conflict, and we have not been able to gain a commitment, then if I try to hold accountable, they're going to take it the wrong way.
0: So you talked about safe conflict. What are some of the characteristics of safe conflict that we might recognize?
1: Very simply put, as long as the conflict is revolving around the ideas and the tasks and the work the minute conflict gets personal all bets are off and it's it's destroyed
0: and so how as leaders when we see conflict arising and and we see that conflict then descending to defensiveness right descending to personalization how do we in the moment course correct
1: there are several ways to do that. One of the ways that I have used, and I've seen other people use very, very effectively, is literally get some kind of a noise make. Now, I use that example because that's a great way to train a dog. When a dog's behavior is going the wrong way, you shake something, get their attention, now I can correct it. If I try to correct it in the moment without getting the attention first, it doesn't work. The same thing in an office. A horn, anything at all when behaviors are not working that way. And it has to be an environment that everybody feels safe in doing that. That comes, that comes when you have trust. If you don't have good trust, that's going to be a hard nut to crack.
0: So does everybody have a horn? Who's empowered to, to stop the action and say, whoa, we need to get back on track?
1: In a media, it could be anybody. In one-on-one, both sides are. In other words, hey, wait a minute, you just going personal on me. Don't bottle it back up and say, okay, and by the way, go back to the disc, those on the S side tend to bottle it up. They don't speak it out. And they bottle it up and hold it in. Next thing you know, they quit. In essence, anybody should have the right to speak up and say, hey, that's offensive. That hurts. Good, solid trust foundation. And there's trust exercises. And when I say trust exercises, I'm not talking about trust falls, catch somebody. No, I'm not talking that. There's all kinds of other exercises. I like to use one that's about personal history. So things of that nature to get people to recognize who and where the trust is and get people to know things. The more the team knows about each other, the better it is.
0: Is team development and team sort of behavior management or change done best in a one-on-one setting? or is it done best in, in a group setting? So sort of what are the advantages of the two, these two different models for teaching, managing, changing when it comes to teams?
1: Well, my easy answer to that is yes. There are some things that need to be done on an individual basis. There are others that need to be done on a larger group basis. Getting the group to start to recognize, for example, back on the disk. When I do an official disk profile, I know what everybody's style is in advance, and I will break them into groups based upon their D, the I, the S, and the C, and put them into corners. They don't know how I put them there. They haven't even seen their report yet. And then I give them questions. What's their uh, best attribute, their worst attribute? So they, they talk among themselves, and they come to answers real quickly, because They don't know it, but they're with like-minded people. I have a term called ABE. Awareness brings effectiveness. The more acutely aware every team member is of everybody else on the team, the more powerful their behaviors will become. They're effective. They, They bring that effectiveness because they now recognize it.
0: I know we're coming up to the end of our time together here, but before we go, can you give our listeners, and there's been so much good advice in this conversation, but one more piece of advice for our listeners as they go and try to help shape behavior on their teams and with their business partners.
1: The easiest answer there is be open to allowing yourself to be vulnerable. Acknowledge that other people may have a better idea maybe these different, be open to it. Don't just put it down. Allow yourself to be vulnerable with your team.
0: I love that. Well, thank you, Greg. I know I've learned a lot today. I'm sure our listeners have as well. And now if our listeners want to connect with you directly, how should they go about doing that?
1: Best thing to do is just remember my name, G-R-E-G-G. Yes, that's G-R-E-G-G. Last name Gregory, G-R-E-G-O-R-Y. Just Google that. But easier than that, Teams Rock, T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K, on any of your social media platforms, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, any of those, Teams Rock, and you'll find me. Connect with me on LinkedIn. We can start a conversation, and we'll build it from there.
0: Perfect. And we'll be sure to include some of those links in our show notes so that our listeners can find you. Awesome. I really appreciate your time and perspective here. Hopefully our listeners can take your advice and apply it to their own teams. If any of our listeners would like to bring these conversations to their own organizations, you can visit us at blueswiftconsulting.com to schedule an intro call. Thanks again, Greg.
1: Appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me. Enjoy my time.
0: Thank you.